This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Let's get started. Welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. Um, my name is Tim Simmons. I am uh, the leader of Christchurch Manchester and uh, one of the kind of hosts of this podcast. Uh, and I've been looking forward to this particular podcast for a while. To give some background before I introduce my guest, um, in Manchester we're running a thing called the Northern Gospel Project, uh, which we're running in partnership with a number of churches in our city, um, particularly a church called City Church, um, which is uh, based right in the centre of Manchester. And we have become good friends with them, uh, with their leaders, Matt Waldock and Ralph Cunnington. Uh, and Ralph came to me with this idea of the Northern Gospel Project, which is just a church planting initiative in Manchester. And we started planning a launch event and he started saying, there's this guy called Femi and he's he's from Lagos. And I think we should invite him over and I think he would be good. Um, so I was like, OK, I've not heard of Femi, but that sounds great. Lagos is a fascinating city. If you can plant a church there, I want to hear your story. And, and Femi Oshinui came over from uh, Lagos and came to our conference. And I knew, OK, if you are listening, Ralph or Matt from City Church, please, um, I'm going to be kind about you, but it might not sound I'm going to be kind about you. I, I knew that because your church background is a little bit different to us so we're new frontiers background a bit more charismatic evangelical and they would describe themselves slightly more um towards the conservative end of things so i was a bit like okay well let's see what this femi guy is like and um there are a few of uh, a few new frontiers pastors there from our kind of tribe and uh, we were all looking at each other as femi talk going i wasn't expecting to hear that from him that's brilliant again and again outstanding talk so we're like right we've got to get this guy on the podcast really good so Femi it's brilliant to meet you thank you very much for being on our podcast with us thanks 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 Tim pleasure being here <laughs> yeah very good um so I, I want to hear a bit about who you are your church planting story um I'd like not to talk about Arsenal Football Club. I think that should be a clear, <laughs> clear rule. As a Manchester United fan, that will bring me only pain and suffering. Um, but I you promise that won't happen. <laughs> okay, <laughs> especially at this point in history. Wow. So um, you lived in Manchester for a while, but tell us a little bit about your your backgrounds, where where you were born and raised, uh, how you came to faith. Yeah, thanks. I should first say, you know, to start, I said this to a number of you guys at the conference, but I don't I do want to repeat, repeat it. Um, it's a pleasure being here, particularly because I've been one of the, you know, biggest fans of New Frontiers for a while from, from afar. You know, I, um, when I became, when I started transitioning to what you, you call reformed thinking, uh, but I was already raised in a Pentecostal background. And so I was trying to see how do I merge it to the first person I actually Read who was talking about what a reformed charismatic was was um, uh, the late Greg Hassler, and so he was on. Um, it was an interview with Adrian Warnock, and so that at least just centered me a little bit. From there, I learned a little bit more about the network. Terry, Terry, obviously, is an inspirational figure. I think theologically, actually, uh, one of the biggest influences on me, but in, in a specific period of time, but still till today, it's, it's none other than Andrew Wilson. Uh, Tokwe Koliosha is obviously Nigerian, and so that's mm. an inspiration as well. And so I can go on and on and on. So PJ Smite's work, um, you know, all of these things, the definition. And so just to say, you know, uh, it's a real pleasure being here. Now, about me, um, I was born and raised in Lagos. Um, so I was, uh, first 24 years of my life lived in Lagos. I went to school here, uh, became a Christian here. Um, became a Christian, actually, I would say, my final year in the University of Lagos, my final semester in the University of Lagos. Well, this is after um, a couple of flirtations. I was born in a Christian home. Um, we started off in a very, very, what I'll call a traditional African um, Anglican church, which, you know, I'm sure it had a good history, but at the time my parents were there, was really void of life, it was just more about traditionalism, uh, you know, African conservative traditionalism, less uh, maybe what you would say gospel, 
uh, gospel life. Uh, mm. This is my recollection on mm. why my parents left. And so my parents eventually got involved in the Pentecostal house church movement. Mm. Sort of like, sort of like, uh, Alien meets um, Plymouth Brethren. And so we met in homes and we're very, very eschatological uh, focused. And, uh, you know, that was where I initially caught my teeth. I didn't like it much, but towards the end of um, uh, my final year in, in the university, there was a guy that I particularly liked. And, you know, we used to do retreats with younger people in our church. And so that's where I really became converted my final semester in the university. And from then, I was just a voracious reader of everything to do with the theology of the church, reading the Bible. I did all of that for two years, moved to then. Um, worked in Lagos for about two 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 years in startup, uh, but then moved to Manchester, which, honestly, if you know my history, Manchester United, it could it was it was more like it was more like God does have a sense of humor, <laughs> um, and so I moved to Manchester in two thousand and seven, and so I did my um, I had that did a master's degree I did a master's degree from two thousand two thousand eight, <clears throat> then then I did my PhD from. 2008 to 2000 and um, about 2013 and that took a bit longer because when i then got to manchester i started a bible study which was more rooted in the theology of my of my you know pentecostal house church mm -hmm. eschatological pentecostal house church movement and that lasted you know i did the bible study rooted in that theology for about two years but in between that that's when i started to transition to reformed uh, theology and you know i almost lost my i was that almost lost my almost lost my charismatism um, and so i didn't lose it but i think i became much more skeptical um and that you know that has i've been on a journey of that one and recovering that over a period of time um that i would say probably lasted up until 2020 2021 where i could say you know i can come back into really fully being um, going all out uh, rather than just you know what we call uh, open but cautious which mm. is open but cautious but you actually never get anything that open yeah you just end up being cautious don't you because yeah so that that's me we um so i got the conviction in that period of uh once i started changing my theology i think i got convicted about church plants in 2012 i read i read a lot of uh tim keller on that and got mm. convicted about that God was calling me, but if I had my way and not my wife's way, and my wife's way was God's way, mm -hmm. would have returned back in 2013. Uh, but my wife took about a year to actually get convinced, and so by 2014, we were convinced in 2014, we returned in 2015. By this time, we'd done, we'd, we'd done the Acts 29 um, church assessment. I actually did that mm. in uh, Manchester. Uh, uh, partly, I met some guys in Manchester and then did that in Sheffield. As so we returned in 2015, um, April 1st, 2015, to be exact, we planted, we launched City Church Lagos um, on January 8th, 2017, and that's where we've been since. So I don't know mm -hmm. if that gives a good summary. Oh, yeah, that's great. I've got some questions for you. So tell me about, so you almost talk about a reconversion back to kind of a charismatic... Uh, um, it, like theology and worldview, and uh, tell us a little bit about that journey into. Um, so, uh, I guess in the, the the first church you were at, the the kind of um, the the Anglican church, um, and then when you moved to what you described as a Elim slash Brethren Pentecostal house church, which sounds a just I I'm struggling to picture it. But was that was there charismatic life in that that you then walked away? from slowly or was that your university experience and describe your journey back into it for us oh that's good so so what happened was when i so again uh, uh we are very very pentecostal and I, I try to sometimes make a bit of a distinction between pentecostal and charismatic i remember mm -hmm. um seeing um the spectrum that adrian warnock tried to develop a few years ago he did and i've since then written well i've since then you know had a, a different kind of chart for our thinking. But um, um, we're very, very Pentecostal. Um, and by that, I mean, like, I don't know if there was a meeting that we ever went to 
that wasn't there were many prophecies i mean the prophecies prophecies my big problem was that we had so many prophecies who was writing any of that down mm -hmm. and who was you know looking for the prediction so i think that when i then so that's when i wasn't a christian it was just a bit too much and the, the meetings went for like six hours so now mm -hmm. so when i did become a christian i think i always had a sort of systematic um way of thinking um a logical way of thinking i, I don't even want to say logical because no it's not so much that they were illogical i'll say it's systematic way of thinking. Mm -hmm. so usually what i was trying to do was to pin down what systematically was the theology of this church and it was very difficult now i understand why because most people went in africa were not really developed as much in a sort of literal linear way of thinking and so it was much more oral and so the theology was really the systematic theology was really lived out and so that's why depending on who you're speaking to at least, especially with the lay people it can seem like there are contradictions here and there mm -hmm. so i would always try and do that and I, I i i was more attracted to the guys in the in the ministry that's at the national level uh, that were much more systematic and mm -hmm. much more that 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 took the theology of the movement and actually tried to um codify it in some way mm. but i think what that then did was this was my natural um if you like my natural this uh, this contributed to my affinity with reform theology because here i found something that was much more that was much more systematic and i was actually written down and it agreed with some of the theological leanings that we had and so um with that, you know, I just went super into um, reading, super into thinking about these things. And then, you know, if I may drop names, because um, I came in through R.C. Sproul, and he was okay. He was somewhat ambivalent, um, if mm -hmm. that name is familiar with the reading. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. somewhat ambivalent to, to, to the charismatic. He didn't talk much about it, but he didn't talk down on it. But it was through R.C. Sproul I then met... MacArthur, who did a fair bit of talking down on it. And this was where, because I did like his preaching. So this was where I started to think, huh, the issues here. And then when you, when already I had in my background, different whilst I was in the movement, that I questioned so many different things. I questioned, you know, a lot of the prophecies. I questioned, you know, just what I thought were excesses. Mm. Um, uh, when someone was here that was actually really critiquing them, you know, it made me listen and listen more. And I found that I was critique, doing a lot more critiquing. Mm. And then at some point, I had to ask myself, were charismatic chaos and, and stuff like that? But why I didn't, I didn't totally go, but for a number of reasons. One, I had seen, even though there were many, I had seen some miracles. Like mm. I knew, you know, I had, I knew there was someone in our church whose husband, um, got um he, he got hiv and um eventually they they both got tested she then had hiv mm -hmm. and in fact i think it was aids eventually and then they were prayed, both prayed for he died she didn't she got tested and she didn't have it again wow i can't deny that no i had given uh in in our short bible study um, before I transitioned, I remember prophesying over someone in a way that, like, I mean, what I prophesied about, if I could just run through it, was, was a guy who, um, he said, it was a, it was a Wednesday meeting. So he, said, he came and said, hey, I don't think I'm going to have a job uh, by next week because our office is closing down. And so I don't, I don't know what's going to happen by next week. It's closing down this. And then I was, we're praying for him. And then I don't know, just came up. I said, you are... I said, you know, this is what I'm, I'm telling you. You're going to have, you're still going to, you're still going to, uh, you're not going to lose your job and you're still going to work in the same space that you are in, something like that. Mm. And what happened was the weekend, um, they actually sent out, you know, his, the end of his, uh, his termination letter. But I think he traveled somewhere. So he got back on Monday. The office did close, but someone within the office bought the new entity changed the name, rehired him to do exactly the same job that he was doing. So a termination letter and an appointment letter actually were sent on the same weekend. And on Monday he received it. So basically he just went went to the same desk, continued the same job, role, you know, 
Now, again, so I'm like, okay, I can't go all the way. However, but finally, once I knew the theological basis, and so I read Don Carson's Showing the Spirit, which still is one of the most significant books for me and my theological journey. And that was, for me, the best case, the best theological case that, you know, I've still seen, well, maybe now I've seen a bit of breaking, but that I've still seen to hold, you know, a biblical theological view, a fantastic exegetical view of the charismatic gift. So that at least got me to be non-sessions. Yeah. But then when we went to church, because a lot of the influences that I had weren't, I wasn't having active um, charismatic influences, we just were, and we, you know, were confessionally continuations. We were very good at describing all of that without, but we're very, very good. So like, hey, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, like, let everything be done orderly. Let everything be done orderly. And, oh, we were open to prophecies, but just not on Sunday. We can do that in the midweek, in, you know, small mm-hmm. groups, never really happened. You know, all of those things. Um, we, we, we do have a bit of a liturgical um, order of service on the Sunday. And so it just, it didn't work. But what eventually started to happen, I think I started getting convicted. We did a, we did a, I asked some of the staff members on the spectrum. I thought I was continuation. So what you'd have is a number four is open book. Well, number three would be, a, well, number, let me start. Number one is that you are a Christian, what I call a Christian um, naturalist. Number two would be a heart secessionist, that would be John McCarthy. Number three would be a soft secessionist, that would be like uh, Tim Keller. Number four would be an open book cautionist, that would be like Don Carson. And then number five was a continuationist, that was John Piper. Um, I think uh, number six would be uh, charismatic, that would be Terry Virgo. Number seven would be a classic Pentecostal, that would be uh, maybe like Bishop Kenneth Umer and, and people like that. So I thought I was a continuationist. Um, and then the staff said that, you know, it was meant to be uh, anonymous. And it came out that I was open, but for sure. I wasn't happy about it. I really wasn't. I tried to argue my way out of it. But I, so I, I started getting convicted. And I think what then happened was increasingly around me, there were people that were talking about it. I was seeing some people do it. And, you know, we started hiring some more staff, you know, that we just couldn't get. In Nigeria, 95% of Christianity is charismatic most people mm. won't even understand mm. uh, i like to say that when people argue it's almost like orthodoxy to not mm. believe in that and so it was even affecting our effectiveness in our church people mm. would come in and say love your word the word is great your prayer is not so great your music not so great now it wasn't simply a totally pragmatic reason to making the shift but mm. that, that provided some data as to where we were mm. and so I think I just tried to change my diet and also started listening to a few more people and just thought, you know, I need to take risks. And we're already taking risks with teaching. We allow some people who are not fully developed. Mm-hmm. And so over a period of time, so we started doing, we said, well, no, City Church 1.0, City Church 2.0 was, we started changing the songs. Our song book now started becoming, you know, a bit more charismatic, a lot mm-hmm. more Nigerian people. We started allowing a little bit more expression. And then from 20, really 2021, you know, I said crystallizing the theology of gospel-centeredness, but really putting the place of the Spirit actively, and then we just started going for it. And since then, you know, like two weeks ago, we had uh, like a miracle, a healing miracle in church. We've had various prophecies, seeing that come to be. So that's really been, you know, my journey. Sorry, I went over. Now, that's really interesting. Um, would you, as you tell the story, I mean, you refer to it like the orthodoxy of Nigerian churches. So... In this, do you feel like City Church has, in this journey, become a little bit more Nigerian, effectively? Yes, and, and that's the other thing, because it's one thing to be charismatic, but I think it's another thing to be Nigerian than Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. And so right now, become City Church, you, know, you notice a number of things, I would say, that we are sort of Angli, anglo presby Coastal, something like that. Right. So I'm looking from the standpoint of there's, there's a, a, a liturgy there, you know, the Muslim confessions and stuff like that. Presbyterian, in terms of the Reformed theology, but also the, the church governance structure, so much, so much. But then, like Pentecostal, like what I mean, Pentecostal is like before I used to, you know, you preach, and after you preach, and it was like 40 minutes, 
I was trying to always get the 40 minutes and then maybe put two. And then I said a short prayer at the end. And now it's it's probably an hour, an hour, an hour, five minutes preaching. And it's mandated, whoever is preaching, you actually we do about 15-ish, 20 minutes prayer, you know, music and just you know going because the prayers really in Nigerian churches is the prayers and prophetic prayers would literally seal the service. Mm. You know, and people people need that. It's like mm. it's it, the sermon is not just an active. It's not just listening and getting information. People actually, the sermon needs to happen to them, not yes. just that they listen to the sermon. And so, so that that Nigerian Pentecostal, I would say maybe even somewhat West African Pentecostal, is somewhat uniquely different. Um, even the way we pray. You know, and all of those. So yes, we actually we had to become City Church 2.0 and 3.0 was really about. It wasn't it, for me. It was going back to those Pentecostal roots as a way of going back to our Nigerian Christian roots as a way. So those, uh, I don't want to go down all of this, but as a yeah. way of giving dignity to the unique way God had moved in this part of the world mm. and i and i felt that um a lot of the caution i was putting and all the different things i was doing in that space of time was actually a way of um, taking away dignity from the unique work of god here mm. among among um, people who were once colonized and so it, it has reached it has a lot to even do with our colonial roots and, mm. and things like that and so so that's why I really, you know, proudly put that up uh, to say, actually, I, I believe that a lot more people around the world need to know, you know, need to hear a little bit more about our form of Christianity and experience it as a way of us being truly a global kind of Christianity, saying we also have something to say. Now, we've listened a lot and we've actually changed a lot and we are really thankful for that. But we also say, hey, look, I think you guys need to see a little bit more uh, from what we're saying because you're actually richer because the way God works with us and the way God works with you guys is going to be different that we're going to come together and we can actually get a bit more of the wholesome nature of what God is all, you know, the, this Christian faith is all about. Mm, I think that's fascinating. There's a, your own, there's something of your journey in growing in confidence as a church leader in planting um as well as a conviction so we can you know easy to talk about contextualization it becomes very cold and quite quite missional but actually that there is something of uh, god rewarming your heart to encounter him and the effect that that has on your whole church mixed in with that or like issues of um your culture and some of what you learned in the uk and then moving back to nigeria and that being um you know, reworked out all over again. I mean, that's, yeah. Just, just, just quick one before you move in. I, I'm so happy you brought up the word contextualization because one of my big, I would say, big convictions that have come out of this is when I was talking contextualization and most of the discussions of contextualization, it was usually here's what we agree on theologically and then it can't be applied in the same way contextualization was about the diverse application of theology. Mm. I, I, while I agree with that, I want to go one step further. Mm. I actually think that true contextualization actually isn't just about application. It's actually about the formation of theology as well. Mm. And so and so missiology then comes in. Missiology as a way of going back to our theology becomes a huge issue. Mm. Because I couldn't just take I couldn't just take a lot of what I've learned theologically from the West and applied in Nigeria it wasn't a simple just applied. Yeah. The, in the in the application process, I had to go back and mm -hmm. say, this isn't effective. These are these people's experiences. Is there something wrong with the theology? Mm -hmm. And actually, go back to the Bible. You do find that actually, it's like no, I can't really believe that. Not just because it's not working here, but it's because there's evidence, there's experience here. And so, in the missiological endeavor, which is a contextualization endeavor, well, at least you have to think. You then discover, you go deeper in your theology, or sometimes you actually correct your theology. 
So true contextualization eventually affects theology. It's not simply just an application because of the diverse demographies that you, you are in. If you are, if you are raised up in a suburban middle to upper middle class area, and you go, you do those wonderful Bible studies set in systematic, you know, different ways, and then you're raised in a very poor area, even the way you read scripture is going to be different. And so the formulation of your theology that comes out from these two different experiences, the formulation of your theology is not going to be the same. Yes. You would have some common ground, but it's yes. not going to be the same. And so we have to rethink even the, 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 the discussion of contextualization has to have some effect on our theology. I know that sometimes may rub people the wrong way, but like, oh, I'm going to change some of the big fundamental things. No, you're not going to change the uh, Trinity. You're not going to change the divinity of Christ and some of those things. Yeah. But even some of those discussions, you actually can find some richer ways of expressing them um, that you've not actually... So. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. It's something we're talking about in Manchester at the moment. There's just a few of our leaders is... Um, uh, and realising that a lot of us come from uh, white, middle-class, British university educated uh, and that affects how we think about um faith theology and trusting god that he will provide for us because mm. in in the in real terms i i have a i don't really i've never really needed to trust god to financially provide for me because of my family upbringing and the upbringing my parents lived in as well they didn't even so it's well bedded into my family and that would be true for numbers of our people. And so it's quite easy for them and me to react against what we would call prosperity theology or, or anything like that. Uh, and or even any sense of the kind of faith, have big faith that God will provide for you. Look, he is provided. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, it's very easy for us to go, well, we feel uncomfortable with that. There are problems where I was that because we don't we haven't needed it. That there's that real haven't so your theology you're absolutely right when it comes up against the rock face of um the people in your city the things that they believe um the history of your or maybe a different people group you're going to that suddenly you realize okay i think i've read this theology wrong completely so yeah i'm now contextualizing myself as well as the people i'm trying to reach so um i think lots of people would identify with what you said there, Femi, uh, and especially with in terms of uh, spirituality as well. Um, and I, I think we're finding in the UK, I think for us, again, in Manchester, I won't speak for all UK churches, but post-COVID, realising that there is a need to... The thing that we all missed, that perhaps we didn't realise we missed, was the emotionalness, emotionality, the emotion of a Sunday gathering and being able to encounter God corporately and the dryness of being online uh, and actually then a real desire to actually to dig into this more. I think that there needs to be more of God. Um, people need to emotionally and spiritually connect. So even what you said about how you've allowed your preachers to go on longer and have a longer time of prayer because they need to feel the sermon. Um, yes. Actually, I wonder whether us, um, whether the university educated Brits of the world, actually there, there is a, they need that more than they would own up to. Um, yes. So much good stuff. So, so tell us, have we, we changed tack slightly? <laughs> tell me about planting City Church Lagos. Tell me about your church. Tell me about that journey. Well, I mean, it's an interesting journey. I, um, I am, I am great. I, I said this at the conference, um, grateful to a number of people that I just, uh, who till, till this day actually support us. So, we started out at our church um, in Manchester, just asking, you know, certainly if we could you know, have a vision cast. We had a vision cast um, in, uh, on a Sunday evening in our church. Some people came, some people liked it, some people signed up to support us. And so that's sort of, well, I don't know whether that's, but, but you know, as I said, we, I got in contact with a couple of pastors in the city, but also that's where I met Ralph. Mm. introduced um, uh, as well and so just got a piece of advice you know pieces of advice really all around um, obviously done a fair bit of reading and all of those things but you know you spoke about faith man you did have to have faith like mm. you did have to have faith because even though i have people that are committed 
you know, in terms of funding, we didn't we didn't actually have any cash. Uh, I know the first three months, no one actually deposited any cash. I had a, bit of, a little bit of savings based on my work um, before I moved to the UK, but that was only going to last us so long. But many different junctures, God came through for us with people just helping at different spots. But, you know, 2015, I sort of had this plan of relocation. To, to, that was the first step. I can't remember five. It was relocation, um, the reconnection, something, you know, we, terrible acronym, uh, <laughs> um, alliterations, but, but it sort of worked. So the idea was for us to, to go back, but then to sort of settle, because we only had one family, a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends, he too was in Manchester, but he got two years ahead of me. Mm. So he was the only one, he and his wife were the only people committed. And the funny thing was, I sort of lost connection with all my friends from university. Well, it wasn't because I traveled originally. You know, I said I got converted in my second year. Mm. My, my final semester in university, well, what I had to do, I don't know whether I'll do it again, but probably what was needed. I basically took a, a sledgehammer and just cut off all the relationships that I had um, at the time because I had flirted with Christianity twice. Mm. And I sort of went back. And it became obvious to me that I needed a new community. And so I just basically cut off everyone. And so the two years after university, I just wasn't as connected to people. I remember just one person in my final, in my class that attended my wedding. And so I really didn't have any connection. So my real friends were the people I'd met, I'd made in Manchester. Mm. So coming back, we had no one to actually reach out to. Mm. Um, reach out to a few people, but the connections were in place there. So, you know, but somehow God providentially through that friend of mine who had other connections and we had people who are either not going to church or who are dissatisfied with church that we then started to just have friendly relationships with and then over a period of time we shared vision with them one on one and over a period of that time we then had a vision cast evening late December twenty fifteen, got some commitments for people that were gonna join join our pre launch team, um, or our launch team. No, yeah, love team. And we did that for one year, the whole of 2016. We met on, for the first eight months on Saturdays, talked vision casted um, about what we, what the kind of the church were going to be. We did some Bible exposition Sundays. We did some gospel center training, and just to, to try and develop the team, but also, you know, build a sense of community. And then we did pre-launch services for the remaining four months. Mm-hmm. So we moved to Sundays just to prepare us. And then we launched January 2017, and um, uh, you know it's it's it was the first year was it was good. We were always stable, not nothing like we never felt it was totally that there was a threat to this church not happening. But we always and even till today, we've never had explosive growth, but we've never had decline. We've always grown numerically. But also, we I think one of the things we emphasize in the culture of our church, we have eight things that we emphasize, but one of them is um, leadership. And so that's really big on that because, we, you know, you can go so far. In some sense, you can, I think you, you get additive effects with followers, you get multiplicative effects with leaders. Mm. And so building that has always helped us in terms of the, the, the growth of, spiritual you know the spiritual dynamic uh, part of the church and so you know as i said also the church we've had some different shifts over you know over the period of time when at one point our song uh, book was dominated by uh, i don't know if i get in trouble for this because i really do like them but like the gettys and um you know so I'm one or two british uh, guys and you know it's I don't even know if we sing any Getty song. Okay, we do sing one, but actually it was one we, we did in in our Nigerian image. So <laughs> I'd like them to actually hear the version of this. Um, so, you know, we've gone through some of those changes, and but I think our church has been better for that as well. So, mm. yeah, I don't know what else to say about church. It's a um, great community. So what? how big was your uh, launch team in 2017, Jan 2017? Do you mean the, the, the team itself? Yeah. Um, I think the average um, at the time at the end when we're doing pre-long services was about 44 people. Right. And 44 people. And how many were you getting on Sundays then in the early days? 
in the early days, okay, so I know the first launch Sunday was 72. But I think we averaged the first month, I think we averaged 62. I think the second month was 59. Third month was 59. And I know we we did, yes, we did in April to about 57. Then we did 65 in in May. That was really good. But in that year was average of 63 and 21 children. 63 I and children. I love that you can remember those numbers from 27. I can, we started in Fallowfield in Manchester in 2009. I remember the launch night of 19 people. And oh, uh, wow. well, for me, I, we'd start with like, there was four of us. So the fact I'd got 19, I was like, this is, I was amazed. The next week there was 10. <laughs> I was like, at the bottom, the bottom dropped out of my world. But we started a very low number. So by the end of the year, we were getting 20. And I thought I was Tim Keller. Um, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, what, what do you get? What do you get now? Just gives us context. Um, so I don't know if you guys are into counting online numbers as well. because we, oh, don't do. we don't do any online stuff. But you tell us. Tell us physical bodies and online. That'd be good. Okay. So let me just. Um, right now. Let me just put this up here. On the average, uh, there you are. On the average, we're doing um, two physical uh, attendance. Okay, so we're doing physical, physical with averaging 279, mm. 279, and then the hybrid is. Uh, 351 so 279 and 72 very good so, very good yeah very good so the other thing i wanted to ask you about um is i mean the the covid pandemic one of the, the all sorts of social um issues and and divisions and uh, things that pastors and christians had to process and and um, people did it with varying levels of success um, the, one of the things that um, the, I mean that really that shook the world was the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, and uh, I think in Nigeria it had a particular flavour with the the end SARS and with the police brutality that you experienced there. I, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background of what that was, and then I, I've heard you talk about it before and saying how actually that, that took place really very close to your church and had pretty deep impacts on your church. So just tell us about that a little bit. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so we've, especially just around, we are, our police force um, has always, as far as I know, been sadly disenfranchised uh, just because of large pockets of corruption in our government. What then happens is the police who are then paid by the government don't actually usually get their fair share. Mm. Um, so sometimes even the people that are on top of the police, high brand, uh, when they've been corrupt, that then affects you know the pay of the of the lower ranking guys. It affects the equipment they get. If you see the the state of their training facilities, it's just crazy, and that doesn't get into life insurance and things like that. You know, accommodation. And so what that tends to do, at least from one standpoint, is to radicalize them because they then have to they have to get feeding somewhere, and so. Um, what you then have is, you know, uh, the average policeman, when they had more authority on the, on the roads, you know, would look for different ways of extorting. Now, for the average Nigerian, who never really does consider the systemic injustice that's done to the police, all you just know is the person that's actually delaying you mm. and the person who's actually constantly extorting you. So the average Nigerian citizen hasn't always had a good relationship with the police, not for reasons totally um, uh, the fault of the police. But then there are other worse dimensions because some of the police, um, depending on the task that they, they have, uh, that they're given, some of them are more militarized. And so the SARS, um, SARS unit of the police force in Nigeria sort of a specifically militarized um, uh, wing. And they were much more on the road for a number of reasons. Now, what they particularly used to do, especially here, was to profile people and target them. And so you'd have guys. Uh, so we have this whole phenomena of um, online uh, fraud. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, 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 it's sort of, it, the perception is bigger than 
than um, the actual size of people. I used to have this line when I was uh, fundraising in churches in the U.S. and um, all around that, you know, coming and say, hey, uh, my name is Femi, I'm from Lagos. No, I haven't sent you any emails. And <laughs> usually, you know, the whole place got cracking up. But I, and I understood, it was like, oh, Lagos, isn't that? And then you say, well, call mm. out the elephant in the room. Uh, but I think the perception was bigger. But, but for the police, for the NSAT guys, it was a way of actually targeting the specific guys. So if you're a young guy who had a backpack with a computer, had a tattoo, or some kind of dreadlocks, you were not, you, you, you were actually fodder for those guys. And then it wasn't now just extorting them. The level of disenfranchisement, the level of maybe some of them had gone through some kind of trauma, some were just vile and wicked people, mm -hmm. uh, some of them were drugs, that then led to what we then call the police brutality, where sometimes mm -hmm. guys are just put in bands for no reason or the other, you know, extorted, like literally taken to ATM machines to get money from them, taking their computers, some were just beaten, some were actually killed, and so it was a normal thing. Mm. And so, um, trying to remember actually what set this all off, I think there was a particular incident that set it all off, but, mm. but you know, putting the whole COVID thing, the restrictions, the mm. economic damage that we're doing here, and then throwing maybe because we're much more in a globalized world, I don't know whether I want to really say the Black Lives Matter thing really triggered it, I just think it probably showed them possibly what could happen. Uh, the connections are a bit, too, uh, a bit loose for me, but I don't yeah. want to say there's no correlation. Yeah. But then in August 2020, it just grew. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 this year, and I've seen a number of protests in Nigeria, but I've never seen any like this. Mm. Um, so in this area uh, where, where we planted, which is a little bit more, it's one of the wealthiest it's a place called like it's one of the wealthiest places in in uh, Nigeria actually, um, but then it's a, it's an aspiring place for a lot of younger guys, the tech the tech crew uh, and all those things. They, they a lot of you know uh, startups, and, but also a lot of established companies. So you have a lot of these people, um, and there's a, a, a massive toll gate, not a toll uh, a, a car toll gate around and for some reason you know the whole thing set up and people started protesting at that point and started to block it and initially it was just going to be you know um you know something that would go away but this kept on rising and increasingly more people started coming it became like a carnival atmosphere and then that set off more protests all around um the nation and then people were actually making demands on pop stars got involved making demands that uh, the head of the national head of police, you know, like would be like the Met chief, mm. should step down. So they had certain demands, but it was so, it was uncoordinated. They prided themselves in being decentralized, so they always said we didn't have a leader. And so you couldn't really have anyone to negotiate. And so there were more radical people, a lot of people that were even saying they want the president to step down. Mm. And they sort of had the time, the governor, the governor, we have governors of states here, the governor went to meet them twice, they didn't receive them as well, even though he was trying to cooperate. Um, so eventually, now we don't know, you, you know, who's telling, but on a certain night, and I never forget that night, because the, 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 the protests, so I was saying, this is my house, I'm, 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 I'm thinking from my the office in my house, my house is about, at the time where we were meeting, it's about, it's, seven minute drive or, or you know from where we meet and it's really like even four minutes if i use the highway then from where we meet to the place the epicenter of the protest and this was the epicenter of the protest for the whole of nigeria is another five minutes mm -hmm. so i mean this is just right there we're having a prayer meeting on a tuesday night on um i think it's october 20 um, and I remember the prayer meeting. I don't normally, I wouldn't check the chat. It was on Zoom, but I just decided to check. We're having a prayer meeting because this was, was a huge national issue. And so we're fasting mm -hmm. for the week in church. And I remember just saying, we have to, either we have to pray now or we, we need to get on the people being killed. And I'm like, what? You know, and so we just go on Twitter and you start seeing blood and different things. I remember we had to talk to the hotel that we meet and just say, hey, look, can we just open all the rooms that you guys have? Let protesters, people who are just, just coming, they have mm. the way. And so it was difficult. And 
I remember I had to do like four messages that week in one week. Um, and so there was the issue of, I remember when the protests were going, I had, it was a, there was a difficult balance to, to hold because there were lots of guys in our church and like, yes, you know, they were really angry, yeah. justice, all of those things. And you could feel the anger. And yet you were like, hmm, these people are putting too much of their hope in this protest. Mm. But on the other hand, we had some of the older people in our church who were just like, you know, these, these, you know, blaming the government for everything, just lazy, bringing disorder, there's traffic mm. all over. And, and so, you know, playing the role where I said I had to emotionally, and I did, I emotionally be aligned with the protest. Um, I had serious problems on how they were strategically going about it. Mm. Um, but on both sides, I also had problems theologically and spiritually how they were thinking about it, because I didn't think the older camp were theologically and spiritually compassionate enough. Mm. And seeing through the injustice that was there, and actually seeing that at some point, you know, when there's no truth, you know, in the government, I can't remember the, the, prof the prophet that said that, but when there's no truth in the higher places, eventually what you hear is voices on the street. Mm. <laughs> so like, like guys, you need to reflect on that. But on the other hand, was guys on this side, it's like guys, our kingdom is not of this world. Mm. You can't protest your way to the new Jerusalem. We're not looking for a new Jerusalem, uh, the new Nigeria. We're looking for a new Jerusalem now because we're looking for a new Jerusalem. We can work for a renewed Nigeria. But there's no version of Nigeria or Lagos that is ever going to satisfy you. Mm. And so when you invest yourself in this protest that hopefully you are looking forward to, you know, having some kind of messianic kingdom, you will, I can assure you, you will get disappointed. Mm. And when you get disappointed, you are going to go through um, um, some kind of you know, psychological depression and all those things. And I've also seen in the history of Nigeria different protest movements. I'm like, guys, you need to learn from the different ones. Mm. You know, coordinate yourself so there's this strategic thing at all that. And I remember uh, after the whole the, the, the shootings, because some it was about it was like in the evening, some mm. guys from the military, now not even the militarized police, came in. And actually started shooting. We don't till today know the official numbers of how many people are actually killed and all those things. Gosh. I remember putting on Twitter, Twitter and said, pastors, therapists, all of those get prepared. Mm. Because it wasn't really about the people who had died. It was the kind of loss of hope mm. and the despair that was going to come out. And so I remember releasing a couple of videos. I've been on all things. Now, on a personal note, that month, October 2020 has been my most difficult month in ministry. Mm. I was, I, I think I woke up at one point in November, late November, but it happened twice, late November and early December, and I couldn't get up. Physically, mm. I couldn't get up. I opened my eyes, I tried to move my body, I, I, was, I was exhausted. Mm. Um, you know, so, yeah, so I never, I, I, it was a taste for me for seeing what, you know, some of the guys in, in the U.S. were going through just in terms of, uh, they, they even had it worse with all the masks thing and the polarized, you know, mm. political stuff and all that. So that really was, that, that's what has happened. If you ask what has happened so far since then, I mean, there were one or two reforms that happened, but um, and maybe they removed some of the police officers from, from the street. So I think there has been some gain, but I think that's generally what you find in the world, that you don't have massive shifts. Mm. You just have, you know, little gradual positive shifts. And, you know, that's, that's where that is. So where is your, your church at with it now? So your, your people, to, so you talk about the loss of hope, and it reminded me, we've got friends who are pastors in Ukraine, and um, they, they would talk about within themselves and within their people just the... The, the loss of hope and the emotional, mental, spiritual impacts that that has on them. When you, something huge and totally outside of your control sweeps through and you, you suddenly, like we were talking about, you contextualise your theology. In those moments when, when it's easy to say, well, we can hope in Jesus, but, you know, you've, you've lost everything or your city is, uh, is shooting itself. Uh, and so how, does, how is your church um, doing with this all now? 
thankfully, I would say I think most of the people have come through. But um, um, there were a number of people. I mean, I, I, it wasn't only with that. There were a few people who, with that and a number of other disappointments. That one person in particular, I, can't, I know that's struggling with their faith, like mm. the person. And this person is like, I would say, the most super um, confessional reformed cessationist person here. Mm-hmm. Which immediately told me, I mean, at that point, and I was, I was getting there, but I was like, you know, I, I love the cessation of service that we have and all of those, but I do think that it's on more shaky ground. And I say that very, very little advisedly because they're fine, fine cessation of people. And if they hear what I'm saying now, it may, mm-hmm. it may sound a bit divisive. But I'm not trying to say that, but I, I just think, at least in certain in certain ways, particularly hard cessations, in certain ways of casting God, you believe more in a description of God than the actual presence. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, once there is a shock to the system of belief, once there is a shock, it's hard to recover because mm. there you there isn't an experience behind that. If the experience of what it means to be born again is to take me to John chapter 3 mm. and not take me to an experience where your heart was strangely warmed. Mm. There is a problem with the Christianity there. So mm-hmm. I think it made more of a charismatic of it because at that point, it's just I need to experience God. Mm. I need to know He's real mm. um, from a subjective, and I'll use the word experiential mm. perspective um obviously the root of my faith is something objective that happens outside of me but it is confirmed by something that's happened inside of me because here are people who have the you know apologetic truth logical proof of the existence of christ all of these things and just say heck you know what i don't believe it yet. because she always um, when these people remind me of job's wife job's wife never became an atheist she just doubted the character of God. She said, curse God and die. He's not worth serving. He exists, but curse him and die, which is why, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that faith without faith is impossible to please God because he that must come to God must first believe he exists, but that's not enough, right? Because the demons believe and they tremble that there is one God. But he that must come to God must believe he exists. And he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. That is, also trust in his character that he is good because there's going to be many things that will test that now have you met with that god i don't think just having you know a theodicy or understanding you know these philosophical things uh, about the suffering and all those things as good as they are you know how you can have a you know good god and uh, bad things happen to people and a good powerful god and yet suffering this world all those things are but honestly Psalm 73 is my favorite psalm. And the psalm is that when I look at the when I look at the prosperity of the wicked, you know, he starts to question mm-hmm. whether actually his words serve God. And mm-hmm. then he says, Until I if I'd spoken like that, I would have betrayed your children. Then says, Until I entered into the sanctuary. All of a sudden, outside of the sanctuary was what we would call reality. But mm. just one sense of reality. He goes into the sanctuary, and then he, he sees full-blown reality. The, he, he literally encounters God, and mm. he says, "Whom have I encountered you?" And the earth has nothing I desire beside you. Mm. And though my flesh and my heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You can't just say God is your portion, but God is not experience. Mm. And I found that what had happened was a lot of people who stood, right, were people who said, yeah, but, you know, I've experienced them in such a way that even though this was a very difficult and devastating thing, we'll continue to come, we'll continue to worship God and all that. And that was a good number of people. There were one or two of us that were able to talk through it and eventually they came out stronger. So mm. right now it's our church, you know, barring one or two people, our church has done pretty well i don't think we lost anyone or anything like that to that yeah. very good i mean it's um yeah just fascinating context at which uh, to operate in and to work out 
your church's theology, your own theology, your own relationship with God, all of that comes into like a moment of social fracture. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's real. It's the real stuff. It's um, uh, church leadership on the grounds there. So very good. Well, we have been talking for a long time, uh, which is fantastic. So I just want to end on, on one question for you, Femi. In terms of what is next for you and for City Church, do you have church planting plans? When you think about your church and the nation of Nigeria, where do you feel your place is in that um, going into the future? Very big question. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think? Well, uh, the vision for having, you know, um, for starting church in terms never changed. The actualization, strategic actualization of that vision has changed over a period of time. So if you I was the I was the um, prototypical church planting city church planting kind of guy. Hey, we want to want to plant our church, and thereafter, in the next number of years, want to plant these churches. I go into church planting. I'm like, mm, no, I'm not planting any other church again. <laughs> um, so we we our language is that we want to catalyze the gospel centered movement through, through church planting, mm-hmm. a gospel centered movement that renews the city of Lagos socially, spiritually, and culturally, and the means is through church planting that now. So the catalytic word and then offers us, um, I would say, an expanded ability to be able to do a number of things. And so what we've seen is that, so so we have a training path. So just taking from that vision to to renew the city of Lagos, we have a, a, an arm, an, an initiative of our church called Renew. And Renews our external way of actually seeing that vision come to to fruition. So we started we started on the renew a conference. We ran in 2019. COVID didn't allow us to do 2020, 2021. We we resumed in 2022. So we started we have a conference and initially 2018 and 19 was for church planters and pastors and ministry leaders. We brought mm-hmm. in a lay a lay person arm um, in 2022. So at least with the conference we're able to bless the wider church. We're able to uh, bless them and you know resource them thinking and all of those things. But then we also use that as a recruiting arm for church planters. So we do a two-year cohort where we train church planters. We've done we've done two, well, we've, we've done one cohort. The second cohort will be graduating this August, and then we take a new one. Mm. So so one of the ways we're capitalizing gospel center uh, uh, movement through church planters is by training church planters. But then some of the church planters we then come alongside so one of them we came alongside and established a thick partnership which was not to plant a city church but he had a vision to church plant and then we gave him some funding we connected him with you know other donors that we knew we gave him a, a management team that is some leaders in our church would oversee him and just care for him and they made a quarterly you know you know review budget and, and stuff like that so that's uh that's a, a thick and occasional I'll meet with him just to advise him here and there. But then there are some people who, you know, maybe we don't align as much, but we still think that they need something. So we could provide, you know, funding for maybe their hall or still introduce them to one or two people. Um, we also, renew also, we also provide some sort of, you know, consultancy where we can train your staff, train church and things like that. So that's what for now we feel called to do, which is, in the word catalytic, we want to be able to sort of, you know, in, infuse whether it's a new church plant or in existing churches, gospel centered and gospel centered, you know, um, our. So, yeah, so that's how we're doing it. Um, and it's, I would say it's not going badly, but it's, it, it, I would say it's neither here nor there. It's just, it's what it is. Uh, nothing explosive, nothing uh, chattering, but, um, I guess the kingdom comes like a mustard seed, and mm. then eventually grows, grows, and sometimes, at some point, all of us will be like, "Oh wow! Thank God for all these our little contributions." Look at this tree, and look at how it provides shade for the birds of the air. And so, that's where we are. Very good. Well, Femi, I really appreciate your time. We'll draw it to a close there. Loads to think about. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, um, Femi's 
talks from the Northern Gospel Project uh, are on the podcast as well. Um, the the one about the seven, I think it was seven ways to start a network, I think, is I've listened to it a couple of times since and have been making notes and was messaging Ralph about it today. So, um, so it is worth a listen to. But Femi, thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Very good. Thanks, everyone.